0: Thank you, brother. And it is a joy to be back uh, with you. It's been, I think, almost two years to the day, almost, uh, since we were back in town, back with you particularly, and with your church family. And I like your new digs. It's great. Great acoustics. I love hearing worship and being able to hear the voices of God's people sing his praise. Thank you, brother, for leading us. Well... Open your Bibles to Jude, uh, the book of Jude. It's right near the back, just before Revelation. And we're going to read just the first, sorry, the last several verses of this letter together. And so if, if you can grab your Bibles, open that up, or on your phone, and uh, open that up and scroll down to Jude chapter, well, it's one chapter, verses 17 to 25. And if you would stand with me in the reading of God's word together. Jude, verse 17 to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, I don't know about you, if but some of us here perhaps have run a marathon. And those are hard. Uh, I've never actually finished a marathon, nor have I even... Started one, but from everyone who has told me about running a marathon, the goal is actually to finish, to actually cross the line, to finish the race, and it, the, the time—not so much—is the concern. As the primary goal is to cross the finish line and to help people with that you'll see all sorts of signage and directions and telling you this is the path to run on and there's people on the side cheering you on giving you water some Gatorade to help keep you hydrated to keep you rolling now what if you signed up to run a marathon where the opposite was true that as you started to run this marathon There was actually the designers and the people on the side were actually mocking you and hurling insults at you, actually throwing rocks, throwing tree limbs in front of you, getting ahead on the race and digging holes and trying to make some pits for you to stumble into or fall into, anything to make you stop running. In fact, they would cross over onto the track and start running against you, pushing you, clipping you. Would you want to sign up for a marathon like that? It'd be hard now what if I told you that everyone who starts this race and finishes this race as they cross the finish line they are ushered into eternal glory with God and enjoy everlasting peace and joy and love with God and everyone who doesn't enter the race and everyone who doesn't finish the race is immediately ushered into eternal hell Forever separated from God's love and joy and peace. If you knew that's what happened at the end of the race. Would you care as to how difficult the marathon was? Would you not be motivated to finish the race and it really wouldn't matter how hard it was. It wouldn't matter how many limbs and obstacles were on the course. You knew the reward at the end was exceedingly better than any trial you would experience as you ran the marathon. This is the race we're in, brothers and sisters. God has called us through his son, Jesus Christ, to a marathon, a race of faith a race that Jesus himself has run for us first. He is the one who has blazed the trail. He's marked out the course. He has won the victory, and he now calls us to fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who got us into the race to keep our eyes locked in on him and say, keep running, keep running. And he gives us his word And particularly, I think this message here from Jude as one of the means by which encourages us to keep running, to keep moving ahead by faith, so that we cross the finish line by grace. Now, Jude is writing to believers who, as he started out at the beginning of this letter, we didn't read this section, but if you just kind of flip back to verse three, he's, he said, you know, beloved, I was really eager eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. They were beginning to falter. They were beginning to stumble on the course And so he's like, I was going to write to you about something, but I think I need to reaffirm some key gospel truths that are going to help you keep running. That's going to be more urgent. This is going to be so key in my letter to you. And we really pick up at the end of this letter some of those key pieces of how do we finish well. And this is so applicable, right? This is so applicable in our own day. Ephesians 5, Paul says that the days are evil. And as we were just praying... It is such an important part in our own days, in our very confusing days, to be able to not get lost on the course or distracted, but to keep running. And it's interesting that Jude, when he wants to encourage the believers to keep running, he doesn't first start with, this is what you need to do. Do you notice he starts in verse 17, this is who you are? If you don't know who you are, you're not going to keep running. And so he begins by calling them beloved. You see that in verse 17? Beloved. In fact, we didn't have time to read the whole letter, but he uses this word three times. He calls them beloved in verse 3, in verse 17, and verse 20. We read two of those. Why does Jude... Remind them again and again. In this short letter, he reminds them three times, and he calls them beloved. He calls them beloved because if we jump back to verse 1, he says, to those who are called beloved in God. That's actually the verb form. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. We are beloved because we are loved by God the Father. This is an amazing truth. And Paul or sorry Jude is reminding these believers of this reality. This is exactly how Paul started his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 verse 6. He says to all those in Rome loved by God and called as saints why would god love us why would we ever get called beloved it's because god loved the idea of choosing to love us in ephesians 1 verse 5 to 6 it says in love this is what moves god in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. You notice that God the Father chose us to be in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the beloved Son. And now that He has made a way for us to be saved and brought into and attached to Jesus Christ, we now become His beloved. Do you see how that works? Now that you're connected by faith to Jesus Christ, the beloved, you are God's beloved as well through adoption. We're all adopted into God's family, and therefore we are all beloved children. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 goes on to say, but God shows his love, his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We might ask, well, when did God start loving us? As we already read, he loved us before the foundation of the world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish that love on the cross. That love was applied to us at the point of our conversion when he saved us. And now we look back and we realize he loved us. He loved us even while I was a sinner, when I could care less about God, when maybe I was actively shaking my fist against God. He loved us. In fact, he loved me even before that from the very foundations of the world. Paul goes on to say in Titus 3, verse 4 to 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, so Jesus, when he appeared, when Jesus showed up, he was the love of God incarnate. He was the loyal love, the hesed love, the loving kindness of God in the flesh. And when he showed up, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. That didn't motivate him. We didn't have a resume to throw in front of him and say, here's all the reasons why you should save me. Mm -mm. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs That's what children, children inherit. We as adopted children now inherit the hope of eternal life. Romans 5 verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into our new hearts as adopted children, sealing in God's love. It's a guarantee as a constant reminder, the Holy Spirit, the, person of, the third person of the Trinity, living inside us as believers, not only to strengthen us to keep running the race, but to remind us as we run that we are beloved children of God. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love, the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You know the number one thing that believers struggle with is believing that God actually loves them. We can come up with a long list of all the reasons why God should not love us, why he ought to be disappointed with us, kind of begrudgingly fulfilling the promises to us because we're children, but he really wished that I wasn't in the family. We think that God's kind of just obligated now. He's kind of locked in because of what Jesus did, but he really wished I wasn't in the family. He thought that he really kind of made a mistake when he saved me. And we can get this idea in our head, yes, 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 God loves people, but he doesn't love me. Because I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know what I did. And we set aside all that God has done and all that he has said. And we begin to believe our own assessment of ourselves and we forget the gospel. We forget that God is fully aware of all that I have done. In fact, he knows more than me. And he has paid for all of my sin. He has washed me entirely clean. He has given me a new heart. He has poured the Holy Spirit of adoption into my new heart so that now I can be called a son and daughter of God and beloved. We're called beloved because it was love that moved the Father to do all of this on our behalf through Christ, applied by the Spirit. And so we are rightly called beloved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? That he loves you, not just kind of generally. He specifically loves you. He knows the hairs on your head, whether there's few like me or many. He knows them all. He knows all that you have done. He knows all that will happen in the coming minutes and hours and years. He loves you in a detailed, personal way. Paul himself spoke of this, about Christ, loving him, who gave his life for him and died for him. It's very specific. This is true for all of us, including you. As you put your faith in Jesus, you know that God loves you. This is why Jude starts us off by reminding us before He gives us a few instructions on how to keep running the race that you are beloved. If we don't believe that, we're going to stop running. It's just going to be a bunch of duty. It's going to get exhausting, and it's going to be embittering. And eventually, we would just like, you know, forget this. This is exhausting. But when we're reminded of God's love that we are beloved, it moves us to run towards such a Savior who loves us, to, li- to fix our eyes on Jesus and lock our sights in on Christ who loved us in this way. We are running toward our loving Father and Savior. Oh, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Knowing that we are beloved children of God. Now Jude then begins to lay out, okay, this is what children do. This is how children keep running. And the first thing that he instructs us, and I'm borrowing from John MacArthur. I think he had some helpful ways of summarizing these instructions. There's four key instructions that Jude gives us. And the first one is this. Beloved, we need to remember God's warning if we are to keep running this marathon. Remember God's warning. Jude reminds us of this in verse 17 of what the apostles said. These are the apostles, these are the ones that Jesus selected and appointed to be able to guard the truthfulness of the gospel and then spread that gospel to all those who had not yet heard the gospel. And they warned that as they did this and they warned about the end times in the last time, it says in Jude, that, that's the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. That's the last time. So we are living in the last times. And Jesus says, during this last, these last days, this last time, there is going to be an increase in persecution and opposition to the gospel of Christ. And ungodly passions will increase and even lure believers away into these sins. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2, he says, Now the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Again, uh, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Jesus himself actually warns about this in Matthew 24. He says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of money, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, the one who finishes the race, will be saved. We should not be surprised in our own day the a flood of false prophets that fills YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, and how essential it is for us to be warned about what they're saying. Jude verse 18 says that they are worldly people people devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not believers. They're not born again. They have not been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out into their hearts because they have no heart for God. They're doing their own thing on their own agenda, their own timeline, in their own strength. And if believers, as we as believers, if we begin to listen to them and have our ears scratched by them and have our hearts drawn to them, and we begin to believe the things that they are saying, then we begin to be duped and deceived by their lies. And as a result, we become susceptible to division. We personally become weak in our faith, and Satan has now an open door to begin to bring division and destruction to Christ's church. Christ is king, and he will build his church, but we need to be on guard. You know, sometimes we think that these false teachers are going to be really easy to identify, really easy to recognize, you know, like a witch on a broom that just flies through a room, and you're just like, yeah, that's really, don't follow. But actually, in reality, these false prophets, uh, they have a nice smile, they dress well, uh, sound really positive and encouraging. And they say things like, Jesus actually came not to die for your sins, but to actually spare you from poverty and illness and to make you healthy and wealthy. That's why he came. He didn't actually take on sins. No, that, that, that's, a, that's a really harsh thought. God loves you. And Jesus was simply displaying an example of love on the cross. Or they may talk about how in many ways we, these false prophets will talk about all the different ways in which instead of trusting and relying on the word of God, you should rely on their words. And they lift up their own opinions as equal with or above scripture. There's lots of different subtle ways in which these people, these false prophets will speak. And we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of the messages. I didn't know Pastor Ray was going to spend this time before we were looking into God's word right now to pray and to ask, whose voice are you listening to? I think that's such an important question in our day. It's always a good question, but how much more so now? If we just kind of take a a quick little survey of how much, time we are listening to the voices in our life, I think that's insightful. If we just take some time, just right now, just kind of reflect on the past week. This is the amount of time that I was spending on Instagram and TikTok and social media. Just kind of add that all up. A little bit of YouTube in there. And then you add to that as well all the times that you spent on the news and reading headlines, diving into articles, hearing different opinions on, I think this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, or this is why they did it, or I think this is why they did it. And you just kind of add all that up into that as well. Get a huge list, add all that time up. And then on the other side of it, add up all the time that you've spent listening to God's voice through his word. All the time that you spent reading the word or praying the word or listening to a podcast on the word or talking to a friend maybe in church or a small group about the word and how the word was encouraging you when you add all of that up now compare the two who has your ear who are you listening to most whose voice is the loudest in your life because If they have your ear, they probably have your heart and head too. And we need to be so discerning in this day, so discerning. I'm constantly pleading with our church, with my family, with all people, listen to what people are saying. Every song, every movie, every billboard, they are trying to sell you something. Whether it's a politician, whether it's a business person, whether it's a pastor, listen to what they're saying with your Bible open and filter. Is that lining up? Does this match? Is it dovetailing? If it doesn't, then this wins all the time, 100%. And the other person is an error. And so this is why we need to be Berean. We need to be discerning. There was a church that was formed in a city called Berea, and they were testing what Paul was saying, and they opened to the Old Testament and was trying to figure out, is what he's saying matching up with the Old Testament? And it was check, 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 check. It was matching up, and they put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. We need to be Berean. We need, with Bibles open, to be discerning as to what we're listening to and whose voice is really filling our ears and our minds and our hearts. These are important days, and we need to hear God's Warning, if we are to keep running this race. Secondly, if we want to finish this race, if we want to finish the marathon, then God instructs us, beloved, to remain in his love. Yes, be warned, be warned of false prophets, but remain in his love. I don't know if you've ever tried to not do something. It doesn't work if you're like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. Well, what ends up happening is you keep thinking about it. What we need to be able to do then is embrace and meditate and focus in on what is true. And then by default, that is not going to be what we focus on is the false stuff. And so God calls us, remain in his love. We saw this already in verse 20, where Jude now, he's focusing his attention. He's speaking directly to us as believers. And he says, but you beloved, in verse 17, and again in verse 20, that we are, in verse 21, keep, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. That's the main thrust that he's saying in this long sentence. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means to guard our hearts and our minds so that we keep believing that God loves us and fostering a love for God. Let me say that again, because this is important. He is saying that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, which means that we are to guard our hearts so that we keep believing the truth that God really does love us, which then moves us to respond in really loving him. And there's there's ways that we can foster this. 1 John 4, verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. So Jude's just putting this in different words. And then he goes on to say that there's three specific things that that can help us stay in, remain in that love of God. And what would that be? He says first, it's growing in the word. Growing in the word will help us remain in God's love and help us keep running the race. He says in verse 20, that we are to be building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Jesus Christ, he's, as we just sang, he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation of our faith, and we are to build on top of Christ and his word by his word. This is how we grow. We grow in our understanding of truth, in theology, that is, in understanding right things about God, in doctrine, that is, truths about what God has said about himself and us and the world. We need God's voice to renew our minds, God's word to be constantly transforming the way we think and see everything in our life. It's like I've I've had glasses for many years and it is important to have the right prescription. If we don't have the right prescription, things get very blurry. Everyone has glasses. Everyone has glasses And the prescription in everyone's glasses is shaped by what they believe to be true. And if they're listening to whatever is in the world and social media and the news or whatever, it's filling their prescription and it's actually distorting everything they see. Their view of God, their view of humans, their view of themselves, the view of the world. And so what we need is... Gospel truth, as we read it, it's tweaking our prescription. God's word tweaks our prescription so that you get day by day a clear and more accurate prescription for you to rightly interpret all of life. This is why the word of God is not just beneficial, it's utterly essential. This is how we grow in the word. Acts 20 Verse 32, this is what Paul Paul pours his heart out. He's talking to the elders of Ephesus that he was there for uh, over two years, just pouring into the city, into evangelism, into discipling. He was teaching them day and night. This whole section, it's incredible, reading in chapter 20 of Acts. And then he says this, you're never going to see me again. And so now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I'm not going to be around here to help you anymore. So how are you going to keep running? How do I know you're going to stay on the marathon? I'm going to commend you to God and his word. If you keep his word, you stay on track. And so he commends them to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. That is, when you cross the line, when you finish the race, you're going to get that inheritance Of all those who are sanctified, who have been born again. It's the word of God that causes us to grow. How do you do this? Children, this is how you do this. You open your Bibles every day. And you begin reading. And if anything stands out to you, underline it. You're allowed to. You're allowed to have a pen or a highlighter. God's totally fine with that. He's not upset with you drawing or underlining or circling things in your Bible. That's totally fine. What you're doing is you're highlighting, this is true. This really means a lot to me. Maybe you want to make a note. Maybe you have a a book or a journal that you can write in and maybe put the date down and say, this is what God was really showing me on this day. This was a truth that really was, it meant a lot to me today you can do that. Parents, adults, young adults, teens, do this. You open your word every day. We find a way to eat every day, don't we? We need to eat spiritually every day. And as we eat, we want to jot that down and not just do this personally. Maybe, maybe you work uh, night shift and the best time to read is maybe at night or in the morning when, whenever it is make sure you are eating god's word and then to eat together it's good to eat personally but then also together and this is what we're doing we have gathered together we have come together to eat god's word together and when you're in small group and you're sharing God's word, you're actually sharing the the fish and the bread. You're spreading out the meal around to those, and you're sharing what you were shared with by Jesus in the morning, what he gave you to eat. Now you're sharing that with others. It's so important for us to eat God's word personally and together. Another way that we are to continue to remain in the love of God is by praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. This is what Jude says in verse 20. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now praying is simply talking with God, and praying in the Spirit is simply talking to God with the leading of the Spirit. And so what might that look like practically? Well, it looks like when you're praying, maybe you're reading Psalm 23 that morning. And as you begin praying and you're thanking God for being your good shepherd, suddenly you think of uh, Margaret or Isabel. and you're, Their name just came to mind. You begin to pray, God, would you be their shepherd? Would you lead them along paths of righteousness? For your name's sake, God, you know how discouraged they are in that work situation or with that family thing that's going on. God, would they know that surely goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their life? And they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, would you encourage them with this? And what I'm doing is I'm praying for these two people that the Spirit just brought to my mind. And I'm using the Word of God that God had led me to read that morning. And I'm putting them together. And I'm beginning to pray by the leading of the Spirit for those things. And so, again, this is when we are talking with God The odds of us walking away from God while we're talking to him are low. Do you see how praying in the spirit is going to be very, very helpful in staying in the love of God and keeping us running in the race of God, right? And so as we pray in the spirit, we are talking with him, we are in communion with him, we are praying through the word. With him, his own word, we're praying for his people, we're praying for the lost, we're praying by the leading of the Spirit, we're praying in the Spirit. The third thing is that not only do we want to grow in the Word and pray in the Spirit, but we also need to be actively waiting for the coming of Christ. Actively waiting for Christ's coming. This is how he finishes verse 21. It says that waiting, you'll notice these are I-N-G words, right? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Main idea. How do we do that? And then there's these three ing words that attach to that idea that tell us how do we keep in the love of God. And the first and the last one is waiting. This is active waiting. This isn't just like I'm just sitting on the couch flipping, waiting through the commercials to end so I can get to the real thing. No, this is an active waiting, anticipating, hoping in. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's when he comes and all that he has promised is now fulfilled. Titus 2, verse 11 to 13, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared in the first time that Jesus came, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, Waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing, the second appearing, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This isn't kind of like a 50-50 lottery. This hope, this waiting, is waiting with, uh, for an event with absolute certainty that it is going to come. We know that Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but we know he is. And this waiting requires hope, requires faith. We don't wait for anything unless we actually believe it's going to happen. And so again, Jude is reminding these believers, you remember, you remember what Jesus promised. That he's coming again. Keep believing that promise. Don't let go of that promise hope in that promise you're waiting for him to fulfill that promise and as you are waiting for that promise which inherently gives you eternal perspective that is this time is short this marathon it feels long it's not long compared to eternity that's coming and he's coming and when he comes he's going to usher me into that eternity this is this is this little race This is just a few more strides compared to eternity, and it gives us perspective. It gives us hope. It gives us strength in our current trials, which are overwhelming and cause us to stop running when we lose sight of his coming. But if we know he's coming, and he's coming soon, doesn't that move you to keep running at least one more step and then another step? And this is exactly what it's designed to do. This helps keep you in the love of God. This loving savior who keeps his promises and comes for his bride, who, the father who sends his son at the right time to collect all of his adopted children and bring them into the house that he's prepared for us. This is what keeps us in the love of God. Now this requires, as we were talking about, activity on our part. This is not something that we just passively do. But as we grow in the word and pray in the spirit and wait for his coming we remain in the love of god and as we do so as we keep ourselves in the love of god and as we're running the marathon we begin to see the people that are on the outside of the race and we also as we're running we are running together as a church family and Suddenly we look around and the person that was right there beside me is not running anymore. They're, maybe they've stopped. Maybe their shoelace got untied. Maybe they tripped. Maybe they're walking off the course and I need to do something. And this is why Jude then also says, as the third instruction, that beloved, we are to reach out with God's mercy as we run this marathon. We are to reach out with God's mercy. Jude says here in verse 22, have mercy. Show mercy. He repeats this twice in verse 22 and verse 23. If we are not growing in the word, if we are not praying in the spirit, if we are not waiting for his coming, then we can easily be duped and deceived and distracted and are at risk of being disqualified. And so what do we do? What do we do in those moments, I remember uh, watching and seeing this little little video a few years ago of a marathon that was happening in Spain, I believe. And the runner, the, the leader of this race, who had been leading, I think, from start to finish, just way out in front, hundreds of meters in front of everyone else, had stopped about 100 or 200 meters before the finish line, thinking he had actually finished the race. They don't know if he got the, the signage confused uh, or what happened, but he stops and he thinks he's won. And he's just kind of walking and catching his breath and just kind of standing still. And the person in second place sees way up ahead that the leader has stopped running. Now he had us a choice to make. What am I going to do when I get to him? And what he did was that he grabs him by the shoulders and said, keep running, keep running, the finish line's just there, keep going. And the leader of the race, who had stopped, finished the race and won the race. And we are at a point, I believe, as a church where we see other believers getting distracted and stop running. They're running so well. There's been all sorts of reasons why in the last few years that we've stopped. And we get to a point of, what am I going to do when I come up to that runner, my fellow marathon runner? What am I going to say? Am I going to say, should have known better, and blow by him? Do I call him out on social media or to the crowd, look at this guy, what an idiot, and keep running? What am I tempted to do in my flesh that will discourage and maybe even keep this person from finishing the race? And you want to put that sin aside and say, no, this is not how Jesus has, has treated me. Jesus, in his mercy, came after me and saved me and got me into the race. And Jesus, in his mercy, lavishes it on me day by day. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You know what that word means, follow? That word means follow the way a lion follows a gazelle. That means it is hunting at you down with his love, not to devour you, but to say, keep going, keep going, keep going. This is the mercy of God poured out on us as beloved children. Ought we not to do the same? As we come along, our brothers and sisters, who have may have been distracted by all these things that are going around, they've not kept running the race, coming alongside them and say keep going. Keep going. And Jude actually lays out very quickly three types of people that we ought to come alongside in mercy to restore back onto the race. And the first is that we need to reach out to those who are doubting. Those who are doubting. You see that in verse 22. These are people who are confused. They're confused. They, they were running the race. They were holding on to God's word. They were running with truth. And then they started hearing some stuff off to the side maybe someone's shouting from the sidelines and they kind of stopped and they're kind of listening and taking it in they're kind of like, huh that's that's different than what i've read here and now their attention has been gripped and they're quite confused now they haven't been convinced and they aren't totally leaving it into a totally different lifestyle but they've stopped and they're beginning to doubt they're beginning to be confused and first thessalonians 5 14 says that As Paul says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We are to come alongside them, patiently open the word with them and say, no, 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 don't listen to it. That's not true. Listen to what God's word says and remind them again, awaken them again to the truth of God's word. And pray with them and show them great mercy. A second group that Jude highlights here is that we want to reach out to those who are not just doubting, but are deceived. They haven't just started to listen to what was said at the sidelines and not just become confused, they're actually now convinced. Oh, that's right. And now they're dialoguing. They're actually, they're stopped running, and now they're actually engaging. They're actively convinced of what's going on. Now they haven't started to live that out. They haven't started to live out that lie but they're now convinced of it. And here is where, uh, as Jude highlights, it is of such seriousness that he says, go and save others by snatching them out of the fire, showing them mercy. That's how serious it is. They don't even realize it, but as they're convinced of these truths, they're starting to get singed and burnt. And you're like, oh my goodness, get off that. And you're putting it out with the word. You're putting out these lies that's starting to burn them because what happens if they don't don't turn away from that lie, they actually become ensnared. And this is what Amos 4.11 and Zechariah 3.2, they use the same imagery of snatching a firebrand, snatching something out of the fire that's being burnt and brushing it off before it's entirely consumed. This is how serious this is. This race is of eternal consequences. The stakes couldn't be higher. And so when we see someone, not just just doubting, but actually being convinced of an error, of a lie, we need to come to them quickly, lovingly, urgently, with the word of God, with mercy, and begin to plead and bring them back into the race, into the truth. Now there's a third group he mentions here a third group is that we need to reach out in God's mercy to those who are defiled defiled these are people who have not just become confused or even convinced but they've gone the extra they've gone the extra step of actually beginning to live this out and actively live in sin and commit sin and are not repenting or turning away from those sins. And this is what happens when we begin to believe a lie, we begin to live that lie out. And so that's why even in this situation, he says, go in mercy, but be warned. They have stained their garments by their sinful behavior And Jude calls us with discerning fear, Not not fear in such a way of being afraid, but fear is being sobered. We need to be humble and use wise discernment as we go and seek to rescue people out of these errors, these lies. This is the same as Jude cautioning a fire truck that shows up at a fire and make sure that the fire truck doesn't catch fire. It's like warning the lifeguard, as you save someone who's drowning, make sure you don't drown. This is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So we need to reach out and seek to restore those who are being confused and convinced, and even walking away in a a lifestyle of sin. But we need to be careful that we don't get caught up. I know sometimes I get sent all kinds of links all the time. And they're like, if you just watch this one more YouTube video, then you will be enlightened, and you will suddenly realize what I'm now convinced of. And honestly, like, click on a few of those links, you're like, okay, wow, I see how you got there. But that's not true. And it's so easy... Just get caught up, and we need to be wise and discerning. If we do this, as we continue to not only reach out with God's mercy, as we remain in the love of God and are warned against false teaching, we are able to keep running the race. And it's amazing how Jude finishes. He, it's like he knows, right? You know, you've watched athletes, you know how they practice and prep for the game. They usually have AirPods in. They're listening to music. There's something about worship. There's something about music that moves an athlete. And God knows this, right? We're made in the image of God. We're actually hardwired to sing. We're hardwired to worship. And this is how Jude finishes. He calls us to keep running and worship our way as we finish the marathon. He gives us a doxology at the end. And this is how we finally, this is the last instruction he gives us, that beloved, we are to rejoice in God's greatness as we finish the race. Rejoice in his greatness. It says first that now to him, now to him. Who's him? Him, well, it says first now. Now means that this can be true any time. It could be true in the morning, if it's in the afternoon, or at night. In whatever season you're in, you can sing this song because it's always true. And so he gives us a song that we can sing in any season. Now to him, this is the one who is deserving. You start at the, end of the sermon, or at the end of the song and work backwards. It's This is the one to whom we sing who deserves all glory, majesty, dominion, authority, Not just now, before all time and now and forever. Who is this? Who would deserve this kind of a song? It is God. God, our Savior, it says. He's the one who is able. Able to do what? Strong enough to do what? To keep us from stumbling and to keep us, keep us. If we go back to verse 1 of the same letter, you'll, what I read at the very beginning of the sermon, you'll remember that this letter is written to those who are called beloved of God and kept. Kept for who? For Jesus Christ. Kept for Jesus Christ. 1 Peter says something very similar in chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see how God is really orchestrating all things in the marathon? He is in complete control of the race. He is in complete control and helping you, guarding you, keeping you to finish the race. He doesn't lose any of his runners. He doesn't lose any of his adopted children. They make it. He enables them to finish the marathon. He keeps them all the way, and he's kept this inheritance waiting for us so that when we cross the line, because he's kept us, then he unites us to the kept inheritance that he's been keeping for us and he brings them together. Do you see how God has given us such reason to sing? We have a song to sing. We have a joyful song to worship our way all the way to heaven as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are called to sing our way and worship our way all the way into his arms, all the way to finish the race and cross the line first peter ends and i'll end with this first peter chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says though you have not seen him we haven't seen him physically oh but you love him though you do not see him now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible filled with glory and what's the result obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Beloved, Jesus is waiting for us, keeping us, enabling us, and giving us a song to sing as we worship our way, as we run this race, singing our hearts out to Jesus, who has finished the race already and is now waiting for us to join him. Let me pray as we Finish this race together. We can't run this alone. My prayer is for us as a church family that we would run together. We would sing together. We would grow in the word together. We would pray in the spirit together. We would wait for his coming together. Let's do that, church. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have loved us. We love you because you first loved us. And we have gathered as your beloved. We sing as your beloved. We hope in you and the return of Christ as your beloved. And we pray, Father, would you send Jesus, your beloved, to us, your adopted beloved, for the sake of your name. Keep us, keep us running, step by step, stride by stride, together in the faith we pray in your name. Amen.